0: Welcome. This is Michael Volkov, and this is episode 56 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is catching up on Special Counsel Mueller's Russia investigation. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, podcast focused on the legal and compliance industry. Before we get started, I wanted to remind everyone about the white-collar defense services we offer at my law firm, the Volkoff Law Group. We provide criminal defense services for individuals and companies in a variety of issues. We've represented individuals and companies in federal and state criminal investigations and prosecutions involving a range of issues, including Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, criminal antitrust, fraud. False uh, False Claims Act, Securities Fraud, Export Compliance, and Sanctions Laws. We can help you and your company avoid possible charges or indictments, negotiate appropriate resolutions of criminal investigations and cases, and represent you or your company in criminal trials in federal or state court. We have a very successful record with our clients and have been able to convince the prosecutors not to bring charges against almost all of our clients. In one case, after an arrest, we were able to ensure that our client did not serve any jail time, and we're proud to say that we have never had a client serve any period of incarceration. If you have a matter you'd like to discuss with us, please contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com or call me at 240-505-1992. Well, today I wanted to return to review Special Counsel Mueller's investigation of the Trump administration uh, and the likely courses of action. My last update in this area was a while ago, and a lot has changed. My last update was in December 2017, and obviously a lot has happened since then. To begin with, and in keeping with uh, the Russia flavor here, I wanted to offer two quotes from my favorite author, Fyodor Dostoevsky. The first from his remarkable novel, The Idiot. Don't let us forget that the causes of human actions are usually immeasurably more complex and varied than our subsequent explanations of them. Absolutely applies in this case because we have a complex investigation with a lot of actors uh, and a lot of activities. The second quote from the particularly apt title Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky goes as follows. Nothing in this world is harder than speaking the truth, nothing easier than flattery. Uh, The Russia investigation is certainly a tangled web, and there certainly have been more than enough instances where individuals have had difficulty speaking the truth. So let's review some uh, interesting changes. My interest and my perspective is as a former federal prosecutor. So here are the issues I wanted to review. One, the Manafort plea agreement in Washington, D.C., and his agreement to cooperate, the most significant development in the Russia investigation. Two, the Cohen plea deal and its relationship to the Russia investigation. Three, Mueller's farming out of related investigations to my old office, the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C., uh, the National Security Division at the Justice Department, and the cybercrime uh, section at the Justice Department. The issue of crime and collusion, parsing through the news and political spin of understanding what the crime of collusion or conspiracy really is. Five, a somewhat irrelevant issue but necessary to talk about, will Trump testify? And six, what are the likely next steps and what's likely to happen? So let's get started. First, Issue 1, which happened on Friday of last week, the Manafort plea agreement and cooperation. This is perhaps the most significant development to occur in the entire Russia investigation. Some of the background here is after a two-week trial in Virginia, Manafort was convicted, remember, after a lengthy trial of eight counts uh, of uh, criminal offenses and ten where there was a hung jury, and the juror held out, one juror, it turns out, held out on the 10 counts. Now, I'm not going to review the trial in great depth because the significant point here was that Manafort was convicted of eight counts covering the entire range, range of types of charges, five counts of tax fraud, two counts of bank fraud, and one count of failure to disclose a foreign bank account. The key conviction in all of this, however, was the bank fraud count. The statutory maximums for each of the crimes, the the three categories, is three years for each tax fraud, 30 years for each bank fraud, and five years for failure to disclose uh, a foreign bank account. So what that means is the guidelines are calculated. There's what's called grouping that occurs and a calculation of a range will depend upon and can be uh, influenced and sort of capped by the statutory maximum. You can't go past the statutory maximum. Well, here, the fact is they have up to 30 years to put time together and to do the sentencing calculation. It won't come out to 30 years, but for Manafort, he was looking at significant time uh, in connection uh, with the case. Just a few comments before we get to the D.C. plea agreement. The tri- I felt that Judge Ellis, uh, unfortunately, in Virginia, made himself a center of attention. Uh, the government's case was extremely strong. They really didn't need Gates uh, to testify the cooperating witness. But uh, since he did, it gave the defense at least a, a chance of holding up the jury. Uh, And I thought the prosecution's closing argument, uh, I thought the prosecutors did a great job. I thought uh, they could have done a little bit better on the closing argument and not use an hour and 40 minutes in the opening part of their closing and only saving 20 minutes for the uh, rebuttal portion of their uh, argument. I would much rather sort of have more time for rebuttal to make sure I had the last word to speak to the jury. And address all of the defense counsel's arguments. Um, The defense counsel, I thought, crossed the line in their closing argument because there was a pretrial restriction on the argument that they could not suggest that uh, Mueller's prosecution was based on improper motives. You know, somehow they were loading up the charges to flip Manafort or things like that. They weren't allowed to do that because the government had moved in limine to restrict such an uh, argument. Um, Anyways, Judge Ellis ultimately has the sentence uh, to impose, uh, but that's not going to be the driver here. Uh, The real driver is going to be ENDC. So let's talk about that. We had the big development on Friday where Manafort decided to plead guilty and cooperate. Uh, And uh, in effect, he rejected the dangling offer, which is completely unreliable from Trump and Giuliani, suggesting he may receive a pardon, and ultimately, he decided, Manafort decided to seek a plea and possible cooperation. Now, he pled guilty to two charges, a conspiracy against the U.S., both under 18 U.S.C. 371. That offense has a five-year statutory maximum of a cap, so he pled guilty to all the conduct that was charged in the indictment but capped at five years and then he also pled guilty to a second count which was a conspiracy to obstruct justice under section 371 which also was capped at five years instead of a much more um, strict and uh, with a larger statutory maximum for uh, the obstruction statute itself. So he is capped in a sense uh, because they're two different assent- offenses to 10 years by the statutory limit uh, in the D- for all of his D.C. conduct. Now, that obviously is separate from his uh, convictions in D.C., I mean in Virginia. Interestingly, the D.C. plea required Manafort to plead guilty to the remaining 10 charges in Virginia as part of the plea. I think that was uh, you know just so the government can be in a position to say, We didn't give him that big a break. As a matter of fact, we made him go right, you know, and plead to the 10 counts over in Virginia uh, that were still remaining. Manafort is facing a lot of time. I mean, no question. Uh, His only way out is to gain substantial assistance credit, and he has every reason to fully cooperate. But does he, and will he, does he have information that's valuable? And the resounding answer to that you can glean from the circumstances here is absolutely yes. He was debriefed at the Virginia jail by prosecutors and agents in two separate, at least two separate sessions, we know, because of comments that were made uh, at the uh, plea proceeding in uh, D.C. And obviously the prosecutors and the agents deemed his information to be valuable or else obviously the government wouldn't have entered into the agreement. Remember this as well, Manafort already knows what the government is interested in, obviously he's following the case and he knows about the case, but he already knows what his co-defendant Rick Gates has told the government. That information was probably made available to the defense during the initial trial, his trial in Virginia, as part of discovery for cross-examining Gates when he testified. I'm not suggesting he's going to mold his information to match Gates, but he already knows that he may be providing information similar to Gates to corroborate Gates, and he may have more information than Gates himself as well. Remember a couple of important facts. Manafort served as the Trump campaign chairman from March 29, 2016 to August 19, 2016. At a minimum, Manafort participated in or knows about important events, the Trump Tower meeting. The change in the Republican platform favoring Russia's interest in avoiding U.S., uh, preventing U.S. arms sales to the Ukraine. Also, Manafort has had a long relationship with Trump and his former partner, Roger Stone, all of which can raise significant issues. He was working daily or, let's say, close with Jared Kushner and Donald Jr., obviously, who attended the Trump Tower meeting uh, with the Russians who were promising DIRT on, uh, Hillary Clinton. So let's remember this context because right now the two people with the probably, perhaps the biggest targets on their back right now, uh, besides Trump, the president, are going to be, uh, Donald Jr. and, uh, Jared Kushner. And, uh, this is where Manafort can absolutely help to build the case. And there may already be evidence that they have from Gates and Flynn in particular, uh, that may, uh, indicate some concern, uh, there as well. So, and remember that during this time period, while, uh, Manafort was the campaign chairman, um, the Russia Tower meeting occurs on June 9th, 2016. Three days later, on June 12th, uh, 2016, Uh, Julian Assange gives an interview on British television, says that the website has obtained and will publish a batch of Clinton emails. Uh, In March of 2016, Podesta had already been hacked uh, through a phishing email uh, scheme uh, that the Russians had launched. But remember also uh, that on July 27th, uh, Russian hackers tried for the first time to break into the servers of Mrs. Clinton's uh, personal offices, in other words, to get her personal information. And it was on the same day that Trump had earlier publicly encouraged Russia to uh, locate uh, Hillary Clinton's missing emails and uh, and that, uh, that the Russians would be rewarded uh, by the press if they were able to do that. Manafort, again, is around during this time period, so there's going to be interesting uh, testimony that, and information that he has with regard to that, and uh, he has every incentive in the world to provide it because he's 69 years old and he's looking at at least 15 to 17 years in jail, and he, everything that he does is going to be to try to reduce his t- sentence. And I think if he becomes a star witness, and if he is able to deliver on all of these points, uh, he can easily get his uh, sentence uh, way under 10 years, uh, depending upon uh, how valuable uh, the information actually turns out to be. Issue two, the Michael Cohen plea agreement. I hate to sound like the McLaughlin group, but uh, issue two is the Cohen plea deal and its relationship to the uh, Russia investigation. Now, Michael Cohen, several weeks ago, uh, in a sort of blockbuster Friday again, uh, pled guilty to eight counts uh, to an information without any cooperation deal. And at least, uh, well, at least it wasn't publicly disclosed. But it's pretty clear to me uh, that he's obviously going to cooperate as much as he can to try to. Uh, earn uh, as much of a reduction as he can. He's looking at uh, 47 to 63 months uh, under the plea agreement, uh, and uh, he's got every incentive in the world to uh, cooperate. The Government making him plead to eight counts. They had a strong case against him, and uh, they were in the driver's seat because I always want my uh, defendant, uh, if I'm a prosecutor, to plead as to as much as I can get on them. But what's interesting is, remember the circumstances here. This is being handled by the Southern District of New York, and that Cohen and uh, the Southern District prosecutors reached a quick deal uh, with only a few debriefing meetings, probably limited to, and the debriefing's probably limited to Cohen's knowledge on issues relating to matters under investigation. Tax fraud, bank fraud, but more importantly, what he knew about what the president knew, with regard to campaign violations and the payments made to McDougal and Stormy Daniels. Cohen made a strong statement during his plea, uh, uh, his plea colloquy, his and his resolution. I think reflected the careful work of his uh, lawyer, uh, Guy Petrillo, who's a Southern District veteran. Uh, and I'm sure had a lot of credibility when dealing with the prosecutors. So then, where is his incentive to cooperate? He's looking at forty six to sixty three. Where are the cooperation obligations? My guess is he was not fully debriefed uh, and was not even probably debriefed much by prosecutors in Mueller's office. And this is the critical link here. That could not be done in time. It was going to take a long time. So uh, Petrillo negotiated this deal in a rush and then will be seeking the benefits from Cohen's cooperation with Mueller. He probably has an informal understanding, look, he's going to cooperate Let's uh, deal with this issue later on. Um, We know he's got to be debriefed on the Russia matter. And the reason that he has to be debriefed on the Russia matter before there's a real resolution here is that Cohen himself may have exposure, criminal exposure, in the potential Russia conspiracy case or even, I guess, possibly in the obstruction of justice case. But um, if he does have exposure there, the prosecutors are going to make him plead guilty, although Petrillo will argue against it and he'll cooperate there. So this may be setting up an interesting situation where we have cooperation in both investigations, the Russia investigation and the Southern District of New York investigation. Now, before we talk about the campaign criminal violations and uh, uh, his plea, I want to take a moment, though, because there's probably an ongoing, if not continuing investigation that may be based upon... Uh, Cohen's knowledge about the Trump organization's money laundering activities prior to uh, the campaign uh, and uh, his relationship with the Russians. And I think that that may be an interesting issue here, um, that it's not clear to me who's going to end up handling that. It's, it's Cohen's cooperation. It relates to uh, the president's dealings with Russia prior to the campaign, uh, and for his many years being tied into the Russians, selling, for example, properties at inflated prices uh, to the Russians who uh, were then money laundering, uh, and going back over his whole relationship. Whether the Southern District takes that over, which might happen, and I think would be a good move on Mueller's part, um, or whether the Mueller takes it over is an interesting issue to me, but I think Um, Given the fact that the Mueller group has another trial coming up, uh, this may naturally extend to the Southern District of New York or be shared between uh, the two offices in terms of common staff handling it. Now, let's go uh, to the campaign criminal violations, because here, um, the, the interesting part about this is... The Southern District of New York and the information that was filed in connection with uh, Cohen's plea deal, um, there was ex- a lot of detail about the expenditures and how the payments were carried out, who was involved, what types of uh, transactions occurred, and it tracked each of the expenditures and the persons involved. Uh, stretching to Weisselberg, obviously, the CFO for the Trump Organization, and Pecker from the National Enquirer, um, who were both given immunity. And the press reports about how this is a big deal to me reflects a misunderstanding about how the immunity was probably given here, which was limited in scope, probably, and only related to these two incidents uh, to the extent these uh, were the sole focus of the Southern District of New York. But what's clear is as to both of these payments and both of these conspiracies uh, to violate the campaign uh, laws, um, and campaign finance laws, the cases are extremely strong and detailed. And you can expect the detail uh, to be just like uh, the detail in the Manafort case uh, that the Southern District of New York put together. And remember, there were two statutes that uh, Cohen pled guilty to, 52 U.S.C. 30118, which uh, is a prohibition on payments made uh, by a corporation, by a corporation in excess of the, uh, pro- the uh, capped amount, and 52 U.S.C. 30109 D1A, which is any person who willfully violates that prohibition uh, is uh, subject to a five year penalty. Uh, and the transactions or the payments have to aggregate uh, over $25,000, uh, $25,000 or more during a calendar year. So here, uh, and then so his liability stretched to 18 USC 2, which is your aiding and abetting statute, uh, and obviously gets uh, encompasses. Uh, President Trump, as well as the Trump organization. Now, there have been some discussion of the parallels here between this case and the 2011 criminal case against Governor John Edwards, when there were two benefactors of Edwards who helped pay um, his girlfriend, Edwards's girlfriend Riel Hunter, to buy her silence. And the question in this, in that case, and ultimately, uh, Edwards was acquitted is that, and the difference in the distinction here was the government in the Edwards case, their prosecution faltered because they were unable to prove that the payments were made, quote-unquote, for the purpose of influencing the 2008 election, because there were payments made before and after the election. Here, the timing of Cohen's payment, the president's payment, And the apparent connection to the uh, November 2016 election is more than sufficient to define the payment as an illegal contribution uh, that was made by President Trump, uh, who directed Cohen to make it. Uh, And that's a big distinguishing factor that makes this case much stronger. Anyway, stay tuned. Michael Cohen's cooperation is perhaps the biggest development that's occurred. Let's go on. Issue three, uh, Mr. Mueller is farming out a lot of his investigations uh, or related investigations. One went to my old office, the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C., the Maria Butina case, uh, the National Security Division, which got um, the, uh, the Russians uh, who were involved uh, in the hacking and the cybercrime uh, section, uh, which got also part of that as well. Uh, So this is a good tactic by Mueller. I think it's politically correct. First off, he doesn't have the resources to deal with all these cases. He has 17 prosecutors, Uh, two junior members, the two junior members of his staff just recently left. I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign, uh, but I think they were probably getting uh, burned out um, and I'm hoping that or had other things to do and that it's not a reflection of where they see the investigation going. But um, his skillfully farming out to other parts of DOJ uh, is done politically, I think, so he can't be accused of expanding his jurisdiction, which was obviously a a former independent counsel named Kenneth Starr was accused of. Uh, He's staying focused on the Russia issue, and he's leveraging resources within the Department of Justice. Issue four, crimes and collusion, parsing through the news and political spin, one of the more frustrating aspects of listening to the news or listening to people talk about uh, the, uh, the investigation uh, is the president and his lawyer, uh, and I put that in quotes for Giuliani, the uh, suggestion that collusion is not a crime and there is no evidence of a collusion. Well, such a claim is just patently false. The relevant offense here is a prohibition on uh, foreign campaign donations, and we'll get and there's some others as well. But there's a broad uh, conspiracy provision, which is 18 Title 18 USC section 371, a conspiracy that violates U.S. law, and here we have a conspiracy to undermine or contrary to the election laws, and there may be other uh, conspiracies here as well or other criminal. Statutes implicated, which I'll get into in just a second. But a conspiracy with such a broad purpose could encompass many ways in which a foreign power could provide a campaign benefit or contribution to the Trump campaign. Um, And the timeline is starting to look stronger when you consider the additional information showing what events occurred shortly before or after the Trump Tower meeting. And the fact is that Mueller has a lot of information relating to that, obviously the circumstances leading up to that, as well as the circumstances after the Trump Tower meeting. Uh, There can be email traffic, follow-up communications, telephone calls. um, That was a follow-up that there was actually some coordination or cooperation. But the fact that the president uh, talked about uh, on the weekend Uh, before the weekend, uh, after learning about the meeting, that on Monday he was going to give a speech about Hillary Clinton and the whole Clinton uh, criminal activity, uh, suggested to me that he was anticipating uh, receiving information from this meeting uh, as well. Um, So we have a conspiracy to undermine the election or take foreign contributions from Russia Uh, Section 30121 of Title 52, our campaign finance laws prohibits contributions and donations by foreign nationals. Uh, And a donation does not have to be just in money. It can be in kind. And there are people who are sitting in jail right now for making uh, such contributions, foreign nationals, as well as people who have received them. Uh, And so it applies to all United States elections, interestingly, whether federal, state, or local. Uh, and it's, and it's, so it's directed at all elections, and it's a broad prohibition and a broad pol- policy. And the statute specifically prohibits foreign nationals from engaging in the following types of political activity, making directly or through any other person a contribution or donation in connection with any federal, state, or local election, or knowingly soliciting or accepting a contribution or donation from a foreign national. And in the case of uh, foreign nationals or foreign governments, the federal sentencing guidelines have specific enhancements that raise the penalties uh, in this context. There are other types of crimes, though. We have 18 U.S.C. Section 1030, which prohibits uh, computer hacking and uh, protects our computers from uh, persons breaking into, uh, stealing our passwords, and breaking into our computer and stealing uh, items from that. Hiking the D- hacking the DNC computers, the Democratic National Committee's computers, if known in advance or aided and abetted uh, by the Trump administration. Either by using materials or covering up Russia's activities or denying intelligence reports, interestingly, or obstructing the investigation of the hacking of the DNC in one way or another, could constitute a violation under 18 U.S.C. 1030 of our criminal code. Um, and if you consider then that, was there a quid pro quo here, meaning will help you. Uh, you go ahead, you hack the computers. We'll consider sanctions relief uh, in exchange for your activity. We There is evidence of a back channel of communication that was being set up, uh, at least later on, by uh, Jared Kushner and Mr. Flynn. Where that went, we don't know, but to me, this is one of the more interesting aspects of the investigation and uh, you can tell that this is the focus of this by the fact that uh, Roger Stone, um, a presidential uh, consultant, uh, campaign consultant, is clearly uh, under uh, review and is likely, in my view, to get uh, indicted. And we'll talk about that towards the end. So these are the types of issues that, when they say there's no evidence of collusion, there's no evidence. Uh, There is not such a crime, you know, you can't find it in in the criminal code. It's just patently false with regard to all of these potential uh, issues. One other reminder, and this was from my previous analysis, which I still stick with, is that there's unlikely to be, even though the case on obstruction is strong and to me very apparent uh, on the criminal obstruction of justice issue against the president and other people who were involved... Uh, the fact is that I don't think that Mueller ultimately will recommend a prosecution or an impeachment proceeding uh, with regard to uh, the president based solely on the obstruction issue. I think he really needs to have a substantive violation that the president was trying to cover up. Now, it could be that the campaign violations are enough, but I think it's a much stronger s- story and a much stronger case once you get into. Uh, proving that there was some coordination with uh, the Russians, either in the donations, either in the hacking, either in the, uh, in the sanctions relief, all of these types uh, of issues that could be examined. Okay, issue five, will Trump testify? And my answer in response to that is who really cares? Uh, I have no... Uh, interest. I don't think that the case itself will be advanced very much if Trump does testify or doesn't testify. Um, He clearly will lie during uh, any type of uh, questioning session. Um, He's comfortable in those sessions because he's been on deposed a lot, but he can't help himself from lie. I don't, there's no such thing as what is called a perjury trap. Uh, the way you don't uh, get yourself into a perjury trap is you d- you tell the truth. Um, and uh, here there's very little risk that uh, Mueller is going to, let's say, abuse this process. Uh, and frankly, a lot of people are saying, why not just uh, issue a subpoena to the president and there you go. Uh, It's just like Clinton. Clinton had to be issued a subpoena in his Whitewater investigation, the Monica Lewinsky investigation, before he agreed to testify. Here, uh, I think there's a risk of court proceedings, litigation, uh, and a challenge in the courts that could go on and on. uh, And I'm not sure uh, it's really worthwhile. To me, uh, Mueller's probably building a record to show how far they went and how much they were willing to consider to have Trump testify. But ultimately, uh, he's going to say, well, we offered it. We tried to negotiate it under terms. We even modified uh, to try to address their concerns. And in the end, uh, we did not end up questioning him. Frankly, there's so much that's publicly available um, that I don't think that – You know, Trump's ability to testify is really that significant. I also think that uh, in a lot of their questioning, particularly on the uh, Russia coordination issue, not on the obstruction of justice issue, uh, is going to telegraph what kind of proof they have. And uh, the focus of it will uh, get at the proof that they have. And that will ultimately give the president uh, and his lawyers more time to argue against the case. Whereas I think there's more of a benefit here to holding your uh, cards close to the chest, writing a report that ultimately gets revealed, and, uh, and I'm assuming it will be in a very comprehensive, detailed uh, report that is ultimately given uh, to Congress. Okay, a couple more predictions. Roger Stone will be indicted. Look for charges against him and look for the nature of the charges that he is charged with. If it is just solely lying about his activities or false statements, that's indicative of one thing. On the other hand, if they uh, think that he aided the... the collusion or coordination with Russia, you're going to look to see what the substantive charges are because that means those are the substantive charges they're looking at for the president. Um, and it may be one of the three that I mentioned, but it could be uh, more than that. We'll have to see this. Uh, Don Jr. Uh, Jr. will get indicted and it'll be a key event because it'll uh, happen after Roger Stone. Uh, and, uh, and happen after Stone is indicted. And there may be more people that are brought into Roger Stone as well, uh, some of his associates who lied for him or may have covered up for him. Uh, so we can see some pretty interesting activity that's going uh, to occur. Two people who um, I just don't know what's going to happen with them yet, no indication yet, are Jared Kushner uh, and Jeff Sessions. Uh, Particularly with regard to Sessions, we now have a contradictory statement made by Papadopoulos in his sentencing memorandum uh, with regard to Sessions' contacts with the Russians. Uh, They have provided their statements about what uh, Sessions supposedly knew are inconsistent. So, interesting times ahead. Uh, Hopefully, uh, we'll will be obviously quiet for the next two months, uh, given the, uh, the midterm elections. Uh, but assuming that if the, Russia, if the uh, Democrats take over the House, we're going to see uh, a quick move on investigations and subpoenas should be an interesting time. Anyways, I will be back uh, and we'll be back with more on the Russia investigation. Uh, and again, thank you for listening. Uh, to uh, today's podcast. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested in and are more productive. As a result, the misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits Effective Ethics program. You can learn more about it, in the Effective Ethics of program the at our website, You also contact at at Let us know